Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hi, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome back to another week. Thank you. Welcome to you as well. Thanks. Good to be here. Yeah. Um, More listener questions. Thank you for sending them in. Um, Should we just dive right in? Let's dive right in. All right. So today is from... um, uh, Gosha, thank you for sending in your question. And uh, Gosha starts with, I just want to say your podcast is truly changing the way I approach and understand money and finances. Happy to hear that. Um, it has been a powerful tool that's helped me take control of my financial life and future. Thank you. I have not gone through all episodes yet, so forgive me if these questions uh, have been answered, but here we go. Number one, can we talk about dividends and dividend stocks? Is it a wise strategy to invest in those stocks and pay out dividends that pay out dividends to shareholders? That's the first question. Second question, I have been looking at investing in exchange-traded funds, and I've seen a number of exchange-traded funds under the label sector or specialty. Um, that's how Vanguard labels them. Uh, could we talk more about these? I'd be interested in investing in some of these, but I am not sure if it is wise. Thank you. All right. Lots of question. talk about those. Yes. Thank you, Gosha. And happy to chat. And let's start with dividend stocks. That was the first question. So can we talk about dividends and dividend stocks? Is it a wise strategy to invest in those stocks that pay out dividends to shareholders? Yeah. We can absolutely talk about that. Um, whether it is a wise strategy for you or not is tough to say. So what we'll do is we'll go over the pros and cons. In all likelihood, any stock investing you do is probably going to have some aspect of this. So let's just talk about yep. the pros of this, the, the I don't want to say the cons of this, but maybe the, the things to look at when you do something like dividend investing. So you can make sure you're doing it the best possible way. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what's your favorite part of dividend investing, Scott? My favorite part of dividend <laughs> investing? What's just a weird way of saying, what are some of the benefits of it? Um, well, it, it actually gives you cash back. Like a credit card? Like a credit card. Cashback credit card. No. Um, <clears throat> so they they do return. They're, a dividend is really, it's a return of profit to the shareholders. Yeah. It's really what it is, right? Mm-hmm. So if it's a, a dividend payer, probably is a well, sh- generally speaking, should be a well-run company with positive cash flows that can afford to give money back to people. Yeah. A very basic way of looking at it, if you own stock, you own a company. You can't go to the supermarket and say, I want to pay for this gallon of milk with this company I own, the stock I own. You've got to pay for it with cash. And so what a dividend is, it is a real cash payment by a company, so company of stock in, who is saying, Scott, thank you for being a shareholder. Here's a dividend. James, thank you for being a shareholder. Here's your dividend. So it's real money that you can spend. Now, that's less important if you're accumulating. Um, It's more so important in retirement. But even when you're accumulating, you can take that dividend, that cash payment, and reinvest it or do something else with it. So that's a benefit. 
a big benefit of that is it's not just income, but it's an income that tends to increase faster than inflation, mm. which is good. And if we look at this in 1960, if you look at all the companies that are inside the S&P 500 and just look at the average dividend there, the dividend on the S&P 500 was $1.98. In 2020, so 60 years later, the dividend was $56.70, which was even a little bit lower than normal because of COVID and companies, some companies cutting dividends. Mm -hmm. So it was up a total of 30 times, which is a compound growth rate of 5.8%. Mm -hmm. Not in the investments themselves, but just in the growth of the dividend. If you compare that to inflation, the consumer price index in 1960 was around 30. Today, it's around 267, which means it's up nine times, which is a compound growth rate of 3.65%. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at dividends that over the last 60 years have grown by 5.8% versus the cost of living that's grown by 3.65%. You can see how that's nice, not just to have income from investments, but income that tends to increase faster than inflation from those investments. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So that's a benefit. Yeah. Anything else you'd add on that or any other benefits? Uh, the only... <laughs> the, only, the only thing I want to add, it's actually kind of, I'm almost jumping to the anti side of it for a second, but when, cause you mentioned the growth rate of, of dividends, which is awesome. The growth rate of inflation, the growth rate of those underlying companies was even greater. Exactly. Which is just investing in the company. Yep. Right. And so part of this is we're going to get to it a little bit more in detail. But part of this is just a question of like, you know, when I remember my grandparents were of a generation where it was like, Hey, we just want to buy dividend paying stocks so that we can get paid this income mm-hmm. and never sell our stocks. Right. Right. And that's like, so far what we're teeing up, it kind of, it feels that way. And it kind of, it potentially can be beneficial. Um, just know that underlying stock also went up in value. <laughs> and that's the thing it's, it's, and we'll jump more into this in a second, but when a stock, when, when you hear someone talking about the total return of an investment, that's not the dividend they're talking about. It's not even just the growth they're talking about. It's the combination of the growth and the dividend yeah. is the total return. Um, in most cases, a company's return, when you look at the increase in its value, the capital appreciation tends to be more than the dividend it's paying. Yep. And certainly in, when it comes to the market as a whole, that's the For case. Sure. Um, what about these dividends? I can see how great they are, but what happens when, when the stock market falls does the dividend also fall because that would kind of present a challenge yep they're pretty resilient um you james is going to walk through some numbers about them being resilient but and we'll actually when we get to a little bit further down we're going to talk about why some companies may not pay dividends as well we just kind of realize like there's kind of this pool of companies that um you know they're they're probably in businesses where they're doing well they're profitable but they don't they don't need to go innovate a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Like I actually think of like Colgate Palmolive right away when I think about dividend paying That's stocks. What a weird company to think about. Totally, right? Like <laughs> toilet paper and dish soap, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like they're a consumer staple. Like you don't really need to innovate what's in the grocery store, but you need to do a really good job of making that stuff. Mm-hmm. If you do a really good job of making that stuff, you're going to have a profit. Yeah. But you don't need to go reinvest all of your profits in making a better laundry detergent. Yeah. Right. So they're probably going to have dividends to pay. Yeah. And they're prop that's a stable company because like, even if the downturn in an economy happens, like you're still going to need to go buy laundry detergent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or I, I think of a uh, Coca-Cola, like 
Coca-Cola is huge. Yeah. How much bigger can it possibly get? Well, it can certainly get bigger, but can it have the growth rate it had in leading 19, up till now? 40s? Right. 50s? 60s? Versus you look at what was actually, I, th- I, I forget if it's since 2000 or when it was, but Monster Energy Drink was, mm-hmm. I think, the absolute best performing stock. And I forget the exact date, but I think from like 2000 until now. Oh, wow. So it was a much smaller company. Sure. So it had much more room to grow. Yeah. When you look at these two types of different, same industry in terms of beverages, but starting at different places. Um, so we'll, we'll go back to that in a second. But the nice thing about dividends, whether it's from Coca-Cola mm-hmm. or companies that make toilet paper or right. consumer goods or things yeah. like that, those dividends, the nice thing about that is even when the stock market takes a nosedive, those dividends typically remain pretty resilient. And if you look at some of the bigger downturns we've experienced in the last few decades, between January of 1973 and of October 1974, the S&P 500 went down 48%. But on an annual basis, the dividend did not go down at all. Yeah, so it added a little stability to the portfolio. Exactly. Yeah. So if you, I mean, it doesn't matter so much if you're not living on that money, but if you're retired, for example, and you have just enough money and dividends that helps you to pay your bills, well, even though your portfolio maybe dropped quite a bit, your income didn't change that year. Uh, March twenty or March two thousand to October two thousand two, the S and P five hundred went down forty nine percent, but the dividend only went down about two percent during that time period, and it was already a new all time high ground a year later. Mm-hmm. So the dividend stayed pretty resilient, and then October two thousand seven to March two thousand nine, the global financial crisis, the S and P five hundred was down fifty seven percent. The dividend actually did get hit quite a bit in the scenario, but it was still down less than half of that. It was down about twenty three percent, and it recovered pretty nicely after that. Okay. So the benefit here is not just that it's real income. That's not just that it's real income that tends to increase faster than the general. Uh, price of inflation increases, but it's also an income that stays pretty resilient even as markets drop. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the benefits, but there's also some downsides to dividend investing. Yeah. What are some of those? Well, you know, it's interesting because we are going to present it as like positives and negatives, but it's kind of just like, does it fit the company, right? In a sense. It's kind of a better, I think a better, it's the same same framing, but different framing, if that makes sense. Because like- um, you know, um, Amazon's a perfect example, right? Never paid a dividend. Yep. They reinvest all their profits back into their company. Yeah. And, and they're the so, most successful stock of all time. And they see American stock market rise, right? Yeah. And when, what, what, we, what we care about for, at least when we look at it for clients, is we care about what, what um, James has already talked about, total return. Total return just simply means how much has the stock gone up in price and how much have I also received in a dividend if I get one. Mm-hmm. That's really what matters. And what I care about even more so than just any individual one stock is globally diversified portfolios where we're going to invest in companies that are growth stocks like Amazon that don't pay dividends. And we're going to invest in consumer staple stocks that are dividend payers like Colgate Palmolive. I want, I want all of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you're going to see less appreciation in price if we pay out a dividend because all that we're doing is we're just returning some of the money. All I'm saying is, is hey, James, you own part of Stone Steps. I'm going to give you some cash now. Well, the moment I give you cash, Stone Steps is worth less money, right? Because I just gave you the money. I can't go reinvest it now, right? Right. So it's just it's just a choice of how do you want to receive your cash. Yeah, like let's say you have two companies, and one company 
they're both $100 a share. One pays a $5 dividend and also goes up in value $5 that year. And the other company pays zero dividend, but it goes up in value $10 that year. Well, they both had a total return of 10%. It's just one was via price appreciation and dividend. The other one was via just price appreciation. Mm -hmm. So the companies that are paying dividends, as tangible as dividends feel, those companies tend to see less price appreciation. And so you want to look at the total picture when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, you talked about just owning the S&P 500. Look, you're going to get a mix of everything. Growth companies and companies are paying dividends. To put it into perspective, about 85% of all the companies in the S&P 500 pay a, a dividend of some sort. Yeah. Some it's a very small dividend, some it's a much higher one. But it's really hard to not do any dividend investing. Unless you're just owning big growth tech stocks, mm-hmm. you probably have some companies of some sort that are paying a dividend just because most of the market does. Right. Um, anything else to add on that? No, I would kind of jump it to, um, the other two kind of cons of just investing in dividends. Mm-hmm. It kind of ties back to what you're just, you were saying. You're going to probably have dividend investors anyway. Yeah. Um, if you're fully invested in, in a global stock market, you're going to invest in dividend paying stocks and non-dividend paying stocks. It's just going to happen. Um, there's no doubt about that. If you only invest in dividend paying stocks, you more than likely are not fully diversified mm-hmm. and you're probably steering away from companies that we'd probably consider to be growth companies. Yep. Cause the companies that are growth companies are the exciting ones that people are re- reinvesting all of our profits back into the business to go grow. Now over time, when you look at the evidence, you can see that um, value companies, which might be more so dividend payers than not tend to do better over the long run. But there's something to be said for having a little bit of everything. Yeah, definitely. And especially if you look at smaller companies, we've just been looking at the S&P 500 for a lot of these stats so far, but they pay even less in dividends. So if you're just owning the big dividend payers, you might be missing out on a key asset class, whether it's these highly profitable tech companies that we're talking about, whether it's smaller companies, um, we're not even talking about bonds or uh, real estate or anything else at this point. We're just talking about dividend stocks, which are great but don't make up a full diversified portfolio. Yeah. And then the top issue, the top con, if you, if you especially if you're a higher income earner um, of just investing in dividend stocks, is that dividends aren't necessarily the most tax efficient. No, they're not. Because it's a forced payment to you. Now, you might get a preferred tax rate on that dividend, which is helpful, but it's not ideal. I In, in the ideal scenario, if we could make an ideal scenario where you could choose to t- just take capital appreciation versus taking capital with cash. Right. Um, you know, it, there's actually something that if, if you're in a really high tax bracket, there's something to be said for saying like, please don't give me dividends. I don't mm-hmm. want the cash flow. Mm-hmm. There, there absolutely is. And, and, and as you mentioned, if they're qualified dividends or ordinary dividends, there's a difference here. But if you just have a company that reinvests into itself, you know, we talked about um, Amazon, it's never paid. A dividend. Mm-hmm. Well, if you literally bought Amazon stock at its IPO and never sold, you've never really paid any taxes on that mm-hmm. because it's just increased in value. And until you sell, there's no taxes owed. Whereas when you have dividends, it's it is forced income, which it's income, which is good, but you do have to pay taxes. You don't really have a, a say in that. So if you're investing in your IRA or your 401k or your 403b or any qualified retirement plan this doesn't really matter because all the growth there is tax deferred or tax free mm-hmm. but if you're investing in a brokerage account or outside a retirement account then there are some tax implications so yep which is something to be know, aware of 
you can look at that when you build portfolios, if, if, if you're doing it, if you have enough space and room, you can build a portfolio allocation in a manner that you're trying to minimize taxes on your ta- on the taxable side of things with asset location and the types of investments that you choose to utilize. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We've talked in other episodes about asset location. So once you do decide how much you want to own in dividend stocks and other types of investments, then determining what accounts to own those in. So you can own the right mix, but shield as much as possible from taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Well, that is the first part of the question. I think the second part will actually be a little bit more uh, straightforward. But the second part of Gosha's question says, I've been looking at investing in ETFs and I have seen a number of ETFs. So again, ex- exchange traded funds under the label of sector and specialty ETFs. Could we talk more about these? I'd be interested in investing in some of these, but I'm not sure if it is wise. How do we think about sector investing or specialty investing? Well, the first thing I want to say to Gosha and anyone else listening is that if you're investing in, if I go and invest in the Russell 3000, all 3000 companies in the United States, I'm going to be investing in any every sector that they're probably giving me access through to, through an exchange traded fund. Yes. So and here's the way so the way that sectors typically break down now it depends on the company that names them and and the convention that it falls under, but the basic ones are basic materials, so think like mining companies, uh consumer cyclicals, so that'd be like things that go up and down with the with the the cycle of um so like electronics, things like that, financial services, so like banking, real estate could, would be a sector, communication services. So that's going to be like, uh, actually that might mix in, it might mix in entertainment. Now I haven't looked for a while at communication, but like, I just think AT&T, the moment I hear that yeah, energy, that's going to be like, you know, oil and gas companies, industrials, that's like general electric technology. You have like Microsoft and Google, um, Consumer defensive, that's basically like consumer staples is another way to think of that. It's like Colgate Palm Olive we mentioned earlier. And you have healthcare. So that's like the big healthcare providers um, or like pharma companies and then utilities. So like all the big power companies, like those are the big sectors that you're just investing in. Yeah. If you just invest in normal indexes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, yeah, those, every company, there's different ways of slicing it up. Like, like you mentioned, you have take the Russell 3000, which is just all the stocks in the US. And people try to put them in little categories or buckets or saying, how do we think about different types of companies that are similar in some way? And those are the 11 different types of sectors that you could literally go buy a sector ETF that just owns technology companies or just owns energy companies or just owns healthcare companies. But what you're saying is, look, if you just go buy the S&P 500 or the Russell 3000 or some total market index, you're going to naturally get your money spread out into all those without having to pick and choose and, and almost like put the puzzle together yourself. Yeah, put the puzzle together. I think another way to think of it is like you're taking a step closer to active management, which I think we've talked before about like you could think of um, investing in the markets like like a casino in Vegas is a similar way to think of it. Like you can walk into the casino and play the games. Like that's like picking if Google's going to win this year or Amazon's going to win this year and you go buy those individual names. Or you could just look around and go, wow, casinos make a lot of money. I'm just going to buy, I'm going to build an index fund. I'm going to let everyone else go play the game and I'm just going to reap the rewards of the house over time. I'm not going to focus on who's going to win or lose. Um, There's other ways you can do that. We've talked before about you know, there's factor investing and there's other ways that you can utilize. There's other ways you can utilize kind of rearranging the casino floor to hopefully help you increase expected return. 
Um, I think this question to me, let me know if you feel different, but I kind of feel like they're kind of asking like, Hey, there's these like cool things. There's sectors. I think I should do something with them. What should I do? And to me, it, it leans towards, well, it's kind of like saying that you're going to choose which of these is going to do better. Mm-hmm. So you're going to go overweighted or underweighted. Mm-hmm. But when we look at the history of us choosing what's going to do better through that lens, we typically don't end up better off mm-hmm. than just investing in the index. Yeah, agreed. The The nice thing is if you just want something that works and is effective and low maintenance, the index is going to do that for you. If you do want to make a strategic bet that, as Scott's saying, may or may not pay off, probably won't pay off compared to just owning everything over time, then you got that covered already by just owning owning everything. Cool. Um, the last thing I would add to this is when we talk about factor in investing, or as you're talking about how do we arrange the odds in our favor, what we look at is what is it that drives returns? How do we determine what stocks are going to perform best over time? And you do that by saying different stocks have different characteristics. And what we see is there's growth, there's differences in growth potential between big companies and small companies, or value companies and growth companies, or different factors like that. It's harder to look at sectors to determine what the growth potential will be. It's more the asset allocation, which is what we're talking about, big, small value growth, U.S. international, stuff like that. Yeah, less so in U.S. international as much as those other factors. This is just making sure that you're spreading your money out between all the different sectors, which is just naturally done in a lot of ways for you in a lot of the fund selections that you're going to have wherever you're doing your investing. So, yeah, kind of like broad-based investing, like you were described, like we can get the big index, the Russell 3000, we just covered all, you know, most companies in the U.S., um, one fund, or we could take these 11 funds this is at the 11, actually the 11 we named were probably just for the S&P 500 anyway. I think those similar they are, yeah. across the top, but you know, you, it's kind of like you're adding a more sizzle, a little less steak by, by going to this. It's not necessarily going to help you, um, by, by seeing those specific things. If you want to go place, if you want to go place money in a sector, cause you think, oh, I'm definitely going to win with this. That's great, but do it knowing that it's a bet that you're making. And it's mm-hmm. nine times out of 10 when we look at the odds, it's not in our favor, mm-hmm. even though we want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. Good feedback. Well, that's all I have. Do you have anything else? No. But thanks all for right. the question. Yes. Thank you, Goshet. And thank you for everyone else submitting your questions. And we'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.